those of us here will continue our series on biblical discernment or spiritual discernment. We're gonna, today we're going to talk about the heart of discernment. And the heart, at, at the heart of discernment is the Bible. And uh, that's what we, uh, we want to see today. I think it's fair to say that most of us, if not all of us, understand the importance of discernment in some areas and practice discernment in some areas, but not in others. Is that fair to say? That some, all of us, I think, in this room will practice some discernment in some areas, but not in all areas, right? Somebody might be very discerning about their finances, but not very discerning about their eating. It might be, you know, there are different areas where we might not uh, practice discernment uh, there. I'm going to turn the fan. Sorry, Scott, but it's kind of hot. Um, so, yet God calls us to be discerning in every area. No area is supposed to be outside of that discernment. In a moment, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, where it says, test all things. That's not going to be our first passage, but eventually we're going to get there. Test all things. That is, practice discernment in all areas. Now, remember last week we looked at a definition of discernment? And I'll read it again to you, because I know you memorized it. So I'm just going to mention quickly, uh, discernment is the gained or the acquired skill of understanding and applying God's Word with the purpose of separating truth from error, right from wrong, and then live according to what is right. So discernment is the uh, ability, uh, the, the acquired skill of understanding and applying the Word of God to separate truth from error, that's the area of the doctrine, and right from wrong, that's the area of practice, and then live in a according to what is right. Now, James tells us that we are not to be only hearers of the Word of God, but we're to be doers of the Word. And as we consider this definition of discernment, in order to separate right truth from error, in order to separate right from wrong, in order to figure out what is right and what is wrong, we see that discernment and judgment go hand in hand. That you cannot practice discernment without practicing judgment. You can't separate right from wrong. You cannot separate truth from error if you are not judging. Are you with me on that one? Do you understand that, that, that fact? Yeah, the Bible includes passages that tell us that we are not to judge. At least they seem to say that. Now, if we believe that God is the author of the Bible and that God always and only speaks the truth, we must believe that the Bible never contradicts itself. So, what do we do? What do we do with these passages that seem to teach that we're not to judge? Well, rather than declaring the existence of contradictions, we need to seek to understand them so we can reconcile them or harmonize them to see how they work together. And we're going to do that tonight, to understand that judgment is necessary for discernment and that the Bible does not forbid universally judging. Now, we're going to start with the passage which I think is the most, the best known passage among unbelievers. They might not know what the reference is, but they are able to quote it, which is, judge, uh, judge not. And don't, no, they don't know that part. Judge not. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that, I think that's the only part. It's Matthew 7. So grab a Bible if you're able. Turn on a device or whatever you do. And go to 
Matthew chapter 7. This is our Lord teaching. And I think sometimes we've become so entrenched in secular worldly thinking that this passage makes us uncomfortable. Or the idea that we're called to that this passage doesn't make us uncomfortable, but the idea that we're to judge make us uncomfortable because you've been hammered with the idea that we are not supposed to judge. In verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your eye, own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from our, your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. So judge or not judge? What is, what is it that Jesus is teaching here? And I think the first question that I would like to ask or to answer is this, in, according to this passage. Is this prohibition in verse 1 universal? Is this prohibition to judge universal? And the answer must be no. And actually, I already gave the answer even before I asked that, that question. But the answer must be no. Notice in verse 6, that one has to discern who is a dog and who is a pig in order to obey Jesus. Do you understand that? In verse 6, you cannot obey verse 6 unless in your mind you decide, okay, that's a pig, that's a dog. You, you, you cannot obey that without making some sort of judgment in your, in your head. And notice also that one must still help the brother with a speck in his eye, which means... You need, you need to discern that there is indeed a speck in the brother's eye, that there is indeed a sin in the brother's life that needs to be addressed. Do you understand that? So the prohibition to not judge cannot be universal there in verse 1. The question becomes then, if not a universal prohibition, what is that Jesus is prohibiting? And I, I, throw the, I have not answered that question. I throw that out. If the what he says in verse 1 of chapter 7, when he says judge not, is not universal, is not applied to every sort of judgment. What is it that he's prohibiting? What is it that he's saying don't do when he says judge not? Okay, don't engage in sin and, and, and then judge somebody else for the same sin. Okay, what's the name of that in the Bible? It's in the passage. Hypocrisy, yes. What else? Brandon? Don't try to be God. Don't try to be God. Okay, but in what ways, do you think? Like be the ultimate authority over Okay. Yeah, self-righteousness. Yes, self-righteousness, yes. Self-righteous judgment. What else might Jesus be forbidding here? Pride, yes. I think all these things are involved here. And I think 
the core of what Jesus is forbidding is self-righteous judgment. In, the, in this passage, what qualifies a person to address another person's sin is the fact that he or she judge himself or herself first. You see that in verses 3 through 5. First remove the plank out of your own eye before you go talk to the speck. So the, what qualifies a person to go talk to a sinner is that he or she also be a sinner. Now, I don't mean by that there's somebody out there who's not a sinner, that doesn't sin. What I mean by that is that he or she recognizes that he's coming to somebody from the perspective that he too struggles, that she too struggles with sin, not as somebody who's self-righteous, who is holier than thou, and he can speak from a pedestal to the lowly sinner. That's self-righteous judgment. A person who has taken an honest look at his or her heart and life is able to be more accurate in judging others. What is the main thing that happens when you first look at your own heart before you judge somebody else? What, what, what happens there in your approach to the other person? Humility. What else? Compassion. What else? Patience. What else? Yes. What else? Kindness. Mercy. In essence, Ephesians 5, 20, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit. You come lovingly. You come peacefully to the, the person. You come in, with gentleness, with kindness. All that comes from first judging yourself before going to the other person. And this is key in conflict. Um, if, you really are, if you have conflict in your life, which I think we all do, you want to know if you have conflict in your life? Go like this. <laughs> you have a pulse? There is conflict, right? And key, and I'm t- teaching that, telling that to myself as well, is to first look at yourself and then be able to go, go and gently reconcile the other person, gently show the speck in the other person's. Uh, all right, so, so Jesus is not universally forbidding judgment. As a matter of fact, he's telling us to judge in this passage, but to judge in a particular way, to, to judge in humility, not in self-righteousness. Any questions or comments? Because I have another question for you. Are there other judgments that are unrighteous? Are there other ways of judging that are unrighteous that we haven't yet talked about? Here in what either I have said or you have said. Jerry. I, I guess I'm thinking about the Christian brother who sins against another brother, and you go to the person and talk to them, and then if they don't listen to you, then you take somebody else. That second person or the church might be involved in. Right, the yes. But that's righteous judgment, not unrighteous. Okay. Yeah, right? I want to know if there's any other ways that uh, we judge unrighteously. Tilly. Jumping to conclusions. Okay, jumping to conclusions. Can you attach that to a passage in the Bible? Think of Matthew 18. Not Matthew 18, Proverbs 18. Where it says that the first person that comes comes to you and tells you the matter, that sounds like, well, that sounds like that's true. And that you hear... The other side. And also says that the fool is the one that hears, listens to one side of the story and then makes a conclusion 
from, from that. What are other ways for judging righteously? Making assumptions, period, right? Making assumptions, which the scriptures talk about judging the heart, right? That's what it is when you make assumptions, motives, intent, in, uh, intent of the heart there. And that's what that, uh, kind of what Brandon brought up earlier, trying to judge as God, because God, only God knows the intentions of the heart. Uh, in in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verses 3 through 7, Paul's talking about judgment that, 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 that was wrongly uh, uh, judgment with which he was wrongly judged. And he says it was wrong, it was unrighteous, because he was judged beyond what is written. That's the expression he uses. So to judge beyond what's written, that is to, be, to judge, to use some other standard to judge than the word of God. That is unrighteous judgment. So to use some other standard than what is revealed to us in the word of God to judge somebody else is also unrighteous. Uh, our confession says that the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man, man's salvation, faith, and life. There's not much left after, right? So everything concerning God's glory, everything concerning salvation, everything concerning what we're supposed to believe and how we're to live, these are the only things that the Bible includes. It's in the Bible, expressly uh, uh, written in the Bible, or logically deduced from the Scriptures. So to, to judge beyond what's written, to judge that using a different standard than the Word is unrighteous. What will be an example of that? What will be an example to judge beyond what is written? Adam Newton, I think the length of your hair is immoral. <laughs> is that a righteous judgment? Is that, is that, is that, right? is that judgment based according to what's written? No, it's going beyond what is written. Right? So that, that, that's the idea of judging based on a standard that's not a biblical standard. What are, are there any other examples? Brandon? Right, yes. Yes, as parents, the only thing we need is one worse kid than ours in the church. <laughs> That's all, so we can feel better. <laughs> That's all we need. If we have one more misbehaved kid in the church than ours, we are okay, right? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, so in essence, judging for what's not sin, that's going beyond what's re- revealed. Now, is it, would it be appropriate to come uh, friend, in a friendly way, in a broadly uh, way to somebody and give suggestions? Yes, but that's not judging. Judging is making a, draw, a, a moral statement about, about somebody. Okay? Teeny. Like mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So anything that's based on a different standard than the scriptures that we use to make a moral judgment. How about matters of conscience? Romans fourteen one through four says that the Lord will judge everybody. Every Christian is a servant of God, and the Lord will judge them. So if somebody thinks as a matter of conscience they shouldn't do this, we should not think. And their judgment is a synonym of despising, 
We should not judge or despise them because they have this matter of conscience, and we should never make somebody go against their conscience. Right, which, which wrong judgment might lead them to do that. Now, that does not, this, this does not mean that we can't engage the brother in discussion, but we don't despise them, and we don't force them to go against their conscience in matters that the Scripture are not explicit or clearly implicit uh, on that. Are you with me on that? Do you understand that that's unrighteous judgment? And the third category of unrighteous judgment is matters of the heart apart from fruit. That's what Kathy mentioned. Uh, assumptions. Judging the heart without evidence. Trying to figure out uh, attributing intention without evidence of that. Now, we are called to judge the fruit. That's the only judgment we can make. Jesus says that, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Or was Jesus just interested in good, in good agriculture here? Is that, was that the point? No, it's, it's, it's a figure of speech. It's a literary device he's using to say, you know a person by what they do. You know a heart by what they do. Even when we excommunicate somebody in the discipline process, we don't make a judgment about their heart. We say that they are not, they're not behaving or believing as a Christian, therefore he should not be treated as one. The Lord knows the heart. We're, thank goodness, thank the Lord, praise the Lord, we're not in charge of figuring out the heart. We're in charge of figuring out what they do. And, and that, that's the only pronouncement we can make. Is that that person, by the way they behave, by the way they believe, is outside of the parameters that God has given for one who professes to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Any questions or comments? I can say my daughters frequently remind me that no assumption is a good assumption. <laughs> no assumption is a good assumption, right? Think about you, you married people. And that's you, not somebody else. That's me. How many of your arguments are based on what you think your spouse said and what you think they mean, even though they're telling you that's not what they mean? I know that I do that a lot for Emily. Emily's a saint. If we believed in purgatory, she could get like 10,000 souls out of it <laughs> just by being married to but we don't, we don't believe in purgatory, just <laughs> if we did. But how many fights we fight that way? Because we know much better what they meant than the ones we actually said and thought uh, the thing, that, that we're trying to figure out the heart there. So what are we to judge then? What are we to judge? All things according to the Scriptures. All things according to the Bible. Look at, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for a second. Paul says this, he says, Test all things. 
That is, prove all things, judge all things, compare all things to the word of God. Test all things. And then he says, hold fast to what is good, and then abstain from every form of evil. So you test everything that comes to you. You grab on, hold on to what is good, and get rid of what is evil. Um, and example, now, what are some examples of all things? I know that shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> First Thessalonians 5.21. First Thessalonians 5.21. Test all things. And then 22 says, uh, 20, 21, hold fast what is good. And then verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. So what are examples of all things? So we're supposed to test teaching, doctrine. The Bible says that the Bereans were more noble because they did what? They searched the scriptures to see if the things that Paul was saying were so. Timothy is told by Paul that the Thessalonica, the, 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 those in Thessalonica were praised because they searched the scripture daily to find out whether these things were so. So, and, and Timothy is told to pay attention to the doctrine. Pay attention. Prove it. Take heed to it. Make sure that it's right. Well, right before, in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, we're told to test prophecies. Now, do not despise prophecies. Test all things. And here Paul's not using prophecy. In a, we use think of, what's the first thing you think about when you think about prophecy? I think most of us think about telling the future. Less than one percent, less than two percent of all prophetic utterances in the Bible is about telling the future. Prophecy is ninety-eight percent about calling God's people back to God's word. Prophecy is more about forth-telling than about foretelling. And so, when Paul says says here, "Do not despise prophecy," he means do not despise the forth-telling. Of God's word, God calling his people back to his word. Don't despise it. Don't just throw it away. Test it. Keep what is good. Throw away what is evil. John tells us to test the spirits. And it doesn't mean like floaty things, uh, incorporeal floaty things that are around, but in the spirit in which something's taught. Is that consistent with the spirit of God? What is it consistent with the spirit of Satan? He, uh, Paul tells us that we're to test the leaders in 1 Timothy chapter 3, t- verse 10, specifically talking about deacons, but we can extrapolate that to the elders as well, where he says, let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So we're to test leaders. We're to, we are to test other believers. Paul is uh, writing to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, says this in verse 22, we have sent with them our brother, and it's interesting that that brother remains nameless. We don't know who that brother was. Our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. Notice why he says that our brother, whom we have often proved diligent. The word proved there is the word for test. We've, all, we've often tested to be diligent. So we test our brothers. We are also supposed to 
test and discern and judge the times. Jesus got mad or upset with the Pharisees and called them hypocrites in Luke 12. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Remember it says, you can see that's going to rain if it's uh, red in the morning? Is that? Yes. And then, no, it's not going to rain if it's red in the evening and so on, but you can't figure out that I'm the Christ, the Messiah of God, after having seen all these things, all these signs and wonders and miracles and words. So we need to discern the times as well. And that's, uh, Jesus calls us to do that, to be discerning of the times in which we live. And then we also to judge, to test, to discern ourselves. Paul says, examine yourselves, that's 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. Again, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, uh, Paul says, let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we, we we judge ourselves as well. So we are called to judge, but we are called to judge righteously according to the word of God. We test all things according to the word of God. Not according to other standards or whatever else, but according to the Word of God, as Paul commands us to do so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Any questions or comments? So you cannot be discerning without, being, without judging. As a matter of fact, you cannot be human and not judge, because the way we think... We grab this fact, well, rational people, we grab this fact, we grab this fact, we compare them, make a judgment, and create a new fact, right? The, the thesis, the antithesis, coming up to a synthesis, that becomes a thesis, there's another thesis, that, and that's how we create information, how we think, and so on. We, our minds work by judging. The problem is that is not that we judge. The problem is that we judge unrighteously. In order to be discerning, biblically discerning, spiritually discerning, we need to judge righteously according to the Bible. So at the heart of discernment is the Bible and what the Bible says about judging and judging righteously. Yes, Melissa. Alyssa. Say, oh, I'm, I'm so thankful that you consider the Word of God to be authoritative. Let's look at that passage. That's Matthew 7. Let's go there and walk your way through it. And you can do that in five minutes. That's, that's the first five minutes. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just grab on there and say, oh, Bible. I like that. I'm glad you, you're willing to submit the Bible. Let's look at that very passage that you're quoting and go from that. Yeah. Keith. Empathy? Um, so, we're not called to empathize with wickedness. Right? 
We are called to empathize with suffering. So that's something we have to discern in our mind. So if we, if we are... If we're making a moral judgment, we're not talking about suffering, we're talking about sin. Are you with me on that one? So we're not supposed to empathize with the sin, with sin, we're supposed to empathize with um, suffering. But you can, you say, you, can, you, you, you have a brother, let's say, that has a similar struggle than yours, whatever that struggle is, I'm, I don't know. And you, may, and you may be a little ahead on the walk with Jesus in that struggle. Jesus is giving you a few victories by his grace and so on. And you might be able to come, brother, I know exactly what you're going through. Um, let me help you through that, right? So he empathizes with the person, but not with wickedness. Does it make sense to you? All right. But we have to be very careful not to... Empathy doesn't have to be our first emotion, first reaction, necessarily. It, it, it can be and should be at times, but it doesn't have to be every time. It wasn't Jesus. Any other questions or comments? All right. We'll pray, and then on Sunday, the morning service, we're going to look at Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. The afternoon service, we're going to look at Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, and uh, continue our journey through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you guide us in all things. Help us to be um, standing on it. We pray that we would be filled with it, and that you would, it would just uh, permeate every area of our being and our thinking, that we might judge righteously for your glory. We pray, Father, that uh, you would help us to also be judge our own selves, that we might remove whatever plank is before us before we try any sort of moral judgment upon other people. Uh, help us to be in love with your word and to be um, uh, diving into it uh, deeply as, our li- as if our lives depend on it, because they do. And we pray that you dismiss us with your blessings tonight and bring us back into your house on your day. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.